We have three scripture readings today. The first one is in the book of John, chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The second scripture reading is in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The third scripture reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. This time of year, we always pull out the music, don't we? Because uh, part of the celebration and the worship of Christ at Christmas, this really involves music. So much music that just feeds into this time. We sing Christmas. Christmas is sung like no other time of year. What are some of your favorite Christmas hymns, carols, songs? Oh, well, that's the right answer today. Yeah, I know. Oh, holy night. I'm glad to hear that. Others. Joy to the world. I heard a little town of Bethlehem. Mary's boy child. Now, you don't hear that very much. <laughs> Silent night. 8.30 service. A lot of people like Silent Night. How many people would say Silent Night? That's my favorite. If, you're gonna sing, if, you, if we can only sing one, that's the one we're going to do. How many would say Silent Night? How many would say Joy to the World? Say, if, if we're going to sing one, that's the one we're going to sing. That's the one I'm going to sing. What about Oh Holy Night? How many would say that's my favorite? Oh, good. You'll like today then. Uh, what, there was a, oh, oh Little Town of Bethlehem. Anybody else's favorite here? Oh Little Town of Bethlehem? And there's others, yeah. There's some others. We are, um, we're taking the great songs of Christmas and uh, some of the best known and best loved, and we are paying attention to their biblical and spiritual foundations uh, that make them so rich and meaningful. But you know, not all the Christmas songs or the, even the ones of the church are like that. Uh, some are a little fluffy. Um, you know, Away in a Manger, um, one of the most popular songs of Christmas. Uh, it was written by Martin Luther 
the leader of the Protestant Reformation who, who ignited that Reformation by preaching and teaching the Word of God, I don't think anyone would accuse Luther of being theologically romantic. And his writings, his preaching, just stellar. But you know that line, in a way, in the manger that he wrote? It goes, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? (laughs) You might want to check in with Mary and Joseph on that one. I... uh, Of course, a song about the little Lord Jesus wailing his head off, that's not going to fly. We're not going to sing that in our churches, are we? And and are there any parents who, are there any parents who really want to give birth to their, any child, let alone their first child, in a cold cave surrounded by livestock? Huh? Talk about natural childbirth, huh? That's it, right there. Sometimes we get a little contradictory in the songs we sing. For example, we sang, yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, but then we sing silent night. Which is it, morning or night? Um, we three kings. Does it say there were three in the scriptures? Does it even say they were kings? You might want to look that up. You might want to just look that one up. You'd think that Christ's birth, based on many of the songs we sing, was the most calm, serene, quiet, blissful event that ever happened. All is calm. All is bright. Oh, sleep in heavenly peace. And there's kind of a lot of, I'll call it mythology, that kind of creeps into the celebration of the birth of the Savior out of what we sing. Now, I'm not interested in being the Christmas carol police. I'm just saying pay attention to the words and what we sing. There's also some really good stuff that we rarely sing, that we rarely hear. Um, For example, here's, here's one. Break forth, O beauteous heavenly light, and usher in the morning. O shepherds, shrink not with affright, but hear the angel's warning. This child, now weak in infancy, our confidence and joy shall be. The power of Satan breaking, our peace eternal making. The light of God, the seemingly weak child breaking the power of Satan and the eternal eternal peace that he gives. Boy, I think maybe we should be singing that one more at Christmas. On Christmas Eve, 1906, Reginald Fessenden, who was a Canadian inventor and did some of the pioneering work in radio, he was kind of involved in the invention of the radio, he broadcast the first ever AM radio broadcast. Parents, just quickly, uh, tell the youth and kids around what AM radio is, okay? Just tell them how that works. First ever AM radio broadcast that had ever been done. And the first song that he played for people to hear was a record of an aria by Handel. The second song that Fessenden played on that first ever AM radio broadcast was him playing O Holy Night on his violin. And then he sang the third verse. First radio, second song, O Holy Night, ever on a radio broadcast in history. The words come from, uh, the words make us think like, well, we're headed down a path, another quaint, quiet, starry, beautiful night. It's all harmless. But then the song begins to sing a mighty, redeeming faith. 
The words were from a poem written um, in France in 1847. And the poem was commissioned for a church where they had renovated the organ and they were rededicating the organ. And the man commissioned to write the poem was a poet and also a winemaker. And uh, get this, though. He was neither a Christian nor did he show any interest in religious things in his own life. Well, he certainly gave us one of the most theologically rich, spiritually solid Christmas songs I think we sing. I think O Holy Night might be our best. I mean, I know we can debate that, but I think it might be our best. This, uh, I want to highlight three parts of the song. There's three verses, and I want to ha- highlight just something in each of the verses. And in the first verse, we sing this. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I think that is a devastatingly spiritually charged line. To pine uh, means to yearn deeply and suffer grief in longing for something. Often it was used of romantic love. Someone pined for someone or something that they could not have, but they want and they could not approach that other. And the picture in the song is of a world of people who have lost their sense of significance, alienated from who we are and, and who we were truly made to be because of our brokenness. And people pine to know they are loved. People pine to know we have purpose. Robert McGee, in, in, a, in a recent book called Search for Significance, wrote this. He said it well. He said, the fall isolated us from our true source of significance, God. Since then, we have sought success, wealth, prestige, and the approval of others to meet our significance. And our error leaves our souls empty, yet pining for fulfillment. When we seek fulfillment without God, our desires, our lives become misdirected. Our souls, the most important part of us, the the part that is eternally built in us, they are drained dry of its worth. We wonder who we are. We wonder what we're about. We wonder if we're loved, if we are valued. When Christ appeared, the soul felt its worth. Jesus Christ came and said, you matter. And you are loved by the Father and by me in a way that you cannot even imagine. And he came to show that we are worthy enough for him to suffer and die for. He came to reclaim us as brothers and sisters and repair our worth as created in the image of God and to restore the relationship that was broken by our redemption, by our rebellion. Remember how Jesus reached out to those two hated tax collectors, Matthew and Zacchaeus, and he said, I want you. And remember how he lifted up that woman who had been dragged before him, caught in adultery, and said he had no interest in condemning her, but wanted to give her a second chance. And remember how he approached that woman at the well, looking right into the very depths of her pining soul? Remember he told that story about a son who wandered far off from home but was welcomed back home by his searching father. 
Remember how he welcomed lepers and the religious and social outcasts and those oppressed, giving them worth as people loved by God? Yes, the weary world rejoices. We are known. We are loved. We are of deep value and worth. And when a soul comes to Christ, it comes to know that. The second part of this song I want to focus on is in the second verse. It goes like this. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need. To our weakness, he is no stranger. Anyone here suffer trials? Anyone here ever feel weak? Every, anyone here just stumble or, or, or feel temptations? The king of kings is not our condemner. He is our friend. And he knows what it is to have trials and to suffer from weakness. In Hebrews, we read, Jesus is our high priest, the one who goes to the Father on our behalf. And he is not unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet, it says, without sin. Now, while Jesus may not have faced the specific temptations that you and I might face in our modern age, he knew the common experience all face of acting against our Father's will. He was faced with doubt, lust, the desire for revenge, um, to be selfish, uh, the desire for power, dishonesty, who knows what else. Christ has empathy for us. You know, if you've lost a spouse, you have empathy for someone who has suffered the same experience like no one else. Or if you've gone through chemotherapy, you can feel for the person going through the same like no one else. Or if you've had a failed marriage or you've been with your child in the hospital or you've lost a job, you know exactly what the person is going through who is experiencing that same thing. You know when you have been there, it makes all the difference. But we don't have a Lord who's incapable of understanding. We have a Lord who says, I've been there. I've been there. And he knows our need and he knows your need. And in our trials, it says... He is our friend. And let me tell you, friends don't let friends walk alone through their trials. Friends don't let friends walk alone through their trials. There's nothing you're going through right now that Jesus doesn't know and see. He knows our need, and he wants us to bring that need to him. And so it goes on to say at the end of Hebrews, this great verse, the scripture, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We are needy people. We are people who need help. We are people who need support and upholding and perseverance and patience and guidance and, and, and wisdom and, and peace and hope. And Jesus is so willing and ready to help us in our time of need and give us mercy and give us grace. I first woke up to uh, this song, O Holy Night, just a few years ago. I was sitting in this room one December night at the Mount. 
and uh, Tim and Hope Glenn, a very talented musical couple who used to come occasionally and do music here for the Mount. They were leading uh, on the music on this night, and they did a beautiful arrangement of O Holy Night. Uh, by the way, Tim Glenn is uh, Morgan McCurry's brother. If you don't know who Morgan is, you need to. And um, it was just a beautiful arrangement. As, and, and as they sang the third verse, I was just blown away. And I don't know if I've just been like totally um, out of it for all these years, or maybe I never sung or paid attention to the third verse, but I sang it and I said, where have I been? That was great. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Jesus taught us to love one another. He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I love you, you now love one another. A lot of division in our world right now. A lot of divisiveness. A lot of anger. A lot of hate. A lot of frustration about a lot of different things. Things in the headlines and things in our own homes. If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to love one another. It's a commandment of our Lord. You know, God revealed ten commandments through Moses. And it wasn't just that those were ten great things to do to obey God. It was to be a mark of how the people who belonged to him would live. Only God can give a commandment, okay? God gives the commandments. And so when Jesus says he's giving another commandment, he's making that audacious claim about who he is, something about who he is. And a commandment is a law. And Jesus gave a new law if you would, love one another and do it in the same way he has loved us. Not according to our personal standard of love, but according to how he has loved us. And his love was a dying love. His love was a love that went to the cross, a love that was abounding in patience and suffering and eventually gave its life. And while Jesus is saying, now follow my example, he's saying even more than that. The construction of uh, of these words in, in the original Greek means that we are to love out of Christ's love for us. That Christ's heart of love is the, the resource for our love. The power of our love as disciples is Christ's love for us. I can't love like Christ wants me to love until I experience and know and draw upon the deep, deep love that he has for me. And his law is love. And he didn't give many laws. As a matter of fact, I think this is the only one he gave. And then we sing of Jesus as a slave. Jesus as a slave. You know, in our Christmas songs, we sing of him as a king. I go with that. We sing of him as savior. We sing of him as Lord. I go with that. But a slave? Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, 
being born in human likeness. That's the new Revised Standard Version translation. NIV reads servant, and RSV translates it slave. The Greek word is doulos, and in a Roman society, a doulos had no rights. A doulos had to do whatever his or her master said, no questions asked. And Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. And he said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. He didn't exploit his status and position as God, but in humility and self-renunciation, he became a slave to us. William Barclay put it like this. I think he wrote it, put it well. Jesus did not desire to dominate people, but only to serve them. He did not desire his own way, but only God's way. He did not desire to exalt himself, but only to renounce all his glory for the sake of people. If humility, obedience, and self-renunciation were the supreme characteristics of the life of Jesus, they must also be the hallmarks of the Christian. Selfishness, self-seeking, and self-display destroy our likeness to Christ and our fellowship with each other. Jesus' life and example, it, it shapes Christian spirituality. A lot of interest in spiritual things these days. Uh, I, I think we find that most spiritualities, if you want to call them that, are either upward or inward. People want to transcend. They want to go higher. They want to uh, become more, more yourself, more real, more fulfilled. And for many people, they're trying to climb a ladder for God. But as I heard one person say, there's nowhere for us to climb because Christ has come down to us. And Christian spirituality, if you want to call it that, is a movement downward. It's a life of self-emptying, becoming less so that Christ can become more in us. You know, slaves do the dirty work. They do that unglamorous stuff. Uh, no perks, no glory. And, and are you as challenged by that as I am? And this slave is our brother who came to break the chains that hold and oppress us. And he came to break chains and free us. Our Lord Jesus Christ brings worth to our souls. Our Lord Jesus Christ knows our weakness and he is our help. He is our friend in our trials. Our Lord Jesus Christ has given us a law and it's the law of love. And our King and Lord came as a slave showing best how that love is done. One person in this church described it this way. My pining and weary state changes to joy and rejoicing and gratefulness and praise. And it is through his appearing that my soul feels its worth. Which leads me to one final note about a holy night. And I think we should appreciate it. It's obvious, maybe the most obvious part of the whole song. Notice the response to Christ, which just permeates the whole song. The response is one of humble praise and worship. Fall on your knees. Behold your king before him, lowly bend. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. How do you respond to God's love expressed and shown to us through the Lord Jesus Christ? 
falling before the Lord and praising Him with all that is within us is the response of a heart that is owned by the Lord Jesus. O Holy Night helps us sing His power and glory. It's a praise song. It's a praise song that helps us lift up the Lord. And I think the words of O Holy Night, to to think that they came from someone who showed, at least outwardly, little or no interest in faith, I think is amazing. But you know what? God will use who God will use, and he will use what he will use to glorify himself. His power and glory evermore proclaimed. Whenever we sing, O Holy Night, we do that. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord, our friend, who came as a slave, you are our brother. Help our souls to feel their worth before your loving gaze. And whenever we sing, O Holy Night, may it lift our hearts up to you in praise for all you have done, for all that you are to us. Because yours is the power and the glory and the honor forever and ever, world without end, amen.